Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I am Hallie Sherman, your speech-language pathologist that loves all things low prep, and today I have a very special guest, and I know I say that all the time, but today I have Farah Augustover, who is actually a friend of mine from undergrad. Um, we went, both went to the University of Buffalo together. She graduated after me, and then we lost touch, even though we both moved back to Long Island, but then she ended up moving into my neighborhood and started a private practice in my neighborhood. And I used to always see her when she would ho- um, have a booth at the town fair every fall. And I would see her there and I would go stop by and say hello. And that's when we really started reconnecting. And then, of course, as things happen, we both ended up getting, I got pregnant with my second and she got pregnant with her first, like weeks apart. So her son and my daughter are weeks apart and we got to really reconnect and get close this, you know, while raising our children together in the same neighborhood. But I decided I had Farah come on the show today because her expertise is all about oral rehab. She has such an amazing experience and story with working with children with hearing impairments. Um, And she even wrote a book all about it, a book for children with hearing impairments. And that just really um, speaks to my SLP heart. And she has such great tips for where to begin, what to do, low prep therapy ideas. And we even talk about ways to transfer some of these ideas into teletherapy. So without further ado, enough of me talking. Let's get to the episode with Farah. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I'm the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, Farah, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you for having me. So let everyone listening know a little bit more about you and your journey to this passion for oral rehab. Sure. So I went to University at Buffalo, as you know, because we got to go together. (laughs) And there I was in a lab in undergrad that specialized in social conversational skills in fetal alcohol syndrome disorder. It got me interested in social conversational skills. And then as a result of that, I ended up getting a job at an oral deaf ed room, which they don't even call it that anymore. And in that room, I started to use some of the social conversational background that I had along with these children with hearing loss. And that was it. I was in and that was my last year of undergrad. So I grad school doing a voluntary thesis on hearing loss and children and social conversational skill development. And through that, I ended up working at a prominent location in the city that specializes in seeing people with hearing loss. And I continued my research, pulled that into private practice, and just kept going all these years. So it's sort of been my main focus since my senior year of undergrad. Wow, that's, that's really, really cool. And for those who got listening, Farah actually wrote a children's book for children with hearing loss. I want to tell them a little bit about that and what inspired you to write it and the little journey behind it. Sure. So I wrote Harmony Here's a Hoot back, it was 2013. And I mainly wrote it because I noticed with the kids I was working with, there was something missing in the literature. There are many great books out there on what is it like to get a hearing aid, to go through the cochlear implant surgery, and great books on advocacy. And I have all of them and I use all of them in therapy all the time. But I wanted something that focused on what happened next. And from the students and the clients that I was working with, they would say, I'm at a mainstream school and I'm the only one in the class that didn't hear something, or I think I'm the only one in the class that didn't hear something, but I'm too embarrassed to raise my hand. Or my teacher forgot to turn the FM system on and I'm too embarrassed to stop the whole class and to tell them. And I started to notice these patterns and I said, we need to fix this. These are amazing outgoing kids that shouldn't feel like they can't raise their hand. And I wrote the book based on these different scenarios that my clients were telling me about in therapy. And each page kind of focuses on a different scenario. And we ended up doing a Kickstarter for it. So all of the different characters in the book are named for different children that either have hearing loss themselves or know somebody with a hearing loss. The teacher is named after someone that was a teacher for 30 years. The audiologist is named for a local audiologist. So each of the characters has quite a background too. And she's followed me ever since. And in the last couple of years, we actually just sold. uh, So she's flown now to 10 countries and she is in 46 states. So we're aiming for those last four. And I go into (laughs) schools and clinics and I do readings and I've gone to a bookstore or two and done readings. And it's just, it's become a passion project. And it's been really special to see kids from around the country and around the world sending pictures and videos of them reading it and saying, my child didn't realize that other kids have hearing aids or have implants or have a hearing loss. And then I got to show them this book and they got to bring it to school and read it with their whole class. It's been amazing and way more than I ever could have imagined in all honesty. So Harmony is near and dear to me. 
So cool. So it's such a great book. And I'm going to have a link in the show notes, not to worry, of where to learn more about the book and Farah and everything like that. So not to worry, because if you have students on your caseload that you would like to recommend this book to, I highly recommend checking out the show notes once you're done listening. <laughs> um, so a lot of times we get clients on our caseloads that I have hearing loss. And it's something that it's not at, especially in the schools, it's not that common. Mm-hmm. So I find many SLPs in the school setting are struggling to know the right path and they don't want to do the same things as they're doing for other students and they get stuck on the how to make it academically relevant yet. Sure. So what are some tips you would give someone? On- yeah. So I think the first thing, and you know, I went through undergrad and graduate just like everybody else did. And there isn't a lot of hearing loss or oral rehab experience when you're a student like a couple different things in our field. You know, you come out, you really have to learn clinically as you're doing it. And hearing loss, like you said, it's just one of those things that doesn't come up a lot. And then it does. And it kind of hits like a vengeance because you're not sure, what do I do? This is new for me. Mm -hmm. So I think the very first thing, and it sounds really simple, but it's super, super important. Get your hands on an audiogram and just teach yourself how to read it and make sure you know what you're looking at. That's the number one thing to do. Talk to an audiologist, talk to another SLP. If you can talk to the family or the student, because a lot of times these students can explain their hearing loss and their devices quite well. So get to know the audiogram because your entire therapy will be based on the goals that the student has or the issues that the student has and the difficulties that they are exhibiting. Is it coming from their hearing loss or is it coming from something else? And that's the SLP's main job is to figure out what is the etiology? Is it hearing related or is it related to something other than that? So that's the number one starting point when you get a student on your caseload in the schools, for sure. That's a great recommendation because a lot of times we're like, okay, we need to be working on compensatory strategies, Mm -hmm. but like, are we really understanding what they really are struggling with? Like you have to understand, you have to get to the root of the problem first. Yeah. I think a really good example of that would be articulation. You have a student with hearing loss come in with an artic goal. And as SLPs in the school, if you're working on something that's articulation related, it's pretty straightforward. You kind of know what you need to do. You know your subset of tips and tricks and strategies. You have to look and say, is this child having this type of difficulty because maybe they can't hear the sound or the sound is coming out in a, you know, a different way. Does it sound warped to them? Is something going on? Because they're not going to be able to produce what they're not listening or not hearing correctly. So if you're trying to fix something that they innately already have some type of physiological issue with, it's not going to happen. So that's just a basic example, but it really goes for everything, for all the different goals. So for example, if you're working on plurals, right? You have a student who's in the school and they're having a lot of difficulty or the teacher reports. Whenever I tell him or her to go pick something up, let's say I I say, go to the back of the room. Can you just grab a couple pencils or can you grab the pencils? And the student comes back with one pencil. A lot of times the teacher might report back to the SLP and say he doesn't know his pronouns because every time I ask him to pick up boxes or pencils or something like that, he always comes back with one. So from my experience, I'm going to look and say, well, do they have a high frequency hearing loss? And maybe that S at the end of those words is actually being dropped. So what he's hearing is, can you go to the back of the room and grab a pencil? Can you go to the back of the room and grab a box? And he's not hearing pencils and boxes. So it's not that he's not listening. 
because he's listening and he's trying and he's following those directions, but he's not necessarily hearing those sounds clear. And I think it really becomes the SLP's job to look for those little details and advocate for those details for these students in the schools. Wow. So that's when really looking at those audiological reports and mm-hmm. we'll say more about the frequencies and what sounds and words and yep. all that yep. fun stuff. Understanding. You want to really look at where is their hearing loss? Are there high frequency sounds like your S's and your F's and your TH's? Are they having trouble more with their low frequency sounds like your M's and your B's? But then you want to look at how do they do in noise, in background noise. Every classroom inevitably is going to have background noise, no matter how quiet, you know, and no matter how well behaved that classroom <laughs> is, there is background noise. So how do they do in background noise or different auditory distractions? How do they do if they're getting competing messages? So let's say they're working in small groups and the teacher is giving directions up at the front of the room. You're now getting this competing message of the teacher's voice along with the voices of their peers and everything might just get lost. Or maybe it's a distance factor where the teacher might turn around and be across the room giving a direction. And now this student across on the other side of the room, it's just a distance issue where the sound isn't carrying far enough and strong enough for them to uphold the message and listen and understand what's being said. Maybe it's a visual thing where the teacher is turning around and facing the smart board when they're speaking instead of having their mouth and their face facing the classroom. Mm. And even as something as simple as that um, used to be kind of lip reading. Now we say more speech reading because we talk about how you're not only reading somebody's lips, but you're reading their facial expression and their body gestures. And if you're only getting somebody's back, you're missing all of that. Mm. And really a lot of the tips that we give to our teachers and we give to our students in the schools, they're beneficial for every single student in that class. So I think that that's a big part for the SLPs in the schools as well as you're advocating within the classroom for the student. Um, and it really needs to kind of carry over in that way of what needs to change within the classroom. And of course, if you're in a school where you do have a student with hearing loss, you want to try and make sure that there's a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing on the caseload, an educational audiologist on the caseload, and they're going to help with all of that as well. That was going to be my next question. Well, I had a different question, but I'm going to ask this one first since you just mentioned it. it. And this is something I always struggle with, mm-hmm. where the boundary that line, like the teacher of the the hearing itinerant teacher yep. and us. Yep. yep. Cause it seems like we're both sometimes working on the same exact things. Yes. And it definitely happens. So <laughs> I think the best way to explain it is you usually have kind of this trio that's going to look at the student with hearing loss. You've got your educational audiologist, you've got your teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing, and then you've got us, the SLP. And there's tons of carryover and crossover. There has to be. The educational audiologist, the way to think about it in the most rudimentary sense is the educational audiologist is responsible for bringing that equipment into the district, setting it up, making sure it's working. So equipment meaning the FM system, any of the little accessories with it, so the mic or the boots that fit onto the devices that the child is wearing, anything like that. They're going to be the gurus on it. They're going to be the ones who set it up, break it down, all of that stuff. If something breaks, they're going to be the ones to call to fix it. Then kind of next in line is you've got your TOD, uh, your teacher of the deaf, and they're sort of the liaison, the best way to describe it, between the educational audiologist and the SLP or the tech side of things and the communication side of things. So kind of tech to real life and the TOD is right there in the middle, which is why there is so much 
carryover. Mm -hmm. And the TOD is going to go in, they're going to also do these daily checks of, okay, is everything working? Batteries are on, FM system is transmitting. And they're also going to be observing a lot of what you would observe in the classroom or get reports back from the teacher on in the classroom, like how are they performing in background noise and distance listening and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely is carryover and really you should be working together. It should mm -hmm. be a really good relationship. They're also a great person to ask if you do have audiological related questions, both the TOD and the educational audiologist. Don't be afraid to say to them, I haven't seen an audiogram since grad school and I don't remember how to read it. Audiograms are hard to read. They're kind of the reverse of what you would think a chart would be. So don't be afraid to say to them, I'm reading that they have a moderately severe hearing loss in their left ear, totally flying over my head and I have no idea what that means. And have them teach it to you. They're the best people to ask for it. I'm like, read, write, read. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> reading them. I'm like trying to remember all those like things that I studied and memorized in grad school. I'm like, oh. Yeah. A lot of it ends up kind of going out the window. And I think it's honestly better if you relearn it again, individualized for that student, mm -hmm. because there's so much individuality to hearing loss. There really is, because not only is the hearing loss itself specific to the person, but the devices that they're wearing are completely specific. There's tons of different models for hearing aids and implants, and there are reasons why their audiological team and their family picked those devices. And you don't necessarily need to know all of the reasons, but you do need to know kind of the, the end result. Mm -hmm. So utilize your educational audiologist and your TODHH if you can. Definitely utilize them because they're there for you. You're all on team X, Y, and Z student, and you're going to help each other. And you can give a lot of communication strategies too as the SLP that they might not necessarily be looking at in the forefront of their mind. So make it a team. It's worth it. Hmm. That's really good advice because I was observing the teacher of the deaf with one of my students who's pushing into the classroom. I happened to go into for another student. I was like watching what she was doing with him. I'm like, okay, that's a super duper game. I'm like, yeah. I have that game. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, why yeah. is she doing that with him? Like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing with so, him. <laughs> so then I'll kind of flip it on you and I'll ask you a question. Did you ask? Of course. Yeah. She goes, she, I was like, I, I didn't ask her in the moment, like later yeah. on. Like, I, I was like, so I have a question. Like, yeah. what are you doing with him? <laughs> but you know what? It's such a good way to ask because you're both looking at it from an educational standpoint. <laughs> which is important from an educational academic standpoint, they're looking at it slightly more audiological than the SLP mm -hmm. would. And the SLP is looking at it slightly more from a communicative sense. So if you talk together, you're really looking at this like whole child picture of the student that includes their hearing loss and all of the other assets that they mm -hmm. have, weaknesses, difficulties, all of that stuff. So definitely use them. No. And it was, it was interesting that like the perspective of like, yeah, I might be doing it with him to work on the listening in quiet. She was mm -hmm. doing it in a push-in setting to purposely work on listening in noise. That's great. So like, yeah. it was interesting to be like, oh, yeah. really purpose. how it all like, carries over. It's a wild <laughs> world. <laughs> so I have to ask, and I always ask these kind of questions. Yeah. Do you have any horror stories or things that went wrong or like a client that didn't want your help or a teacher or some a parent that didn't want your input. Do you have mm -hmm. any of those stories? I love to hear yeah. those kinds of stories. So <laughs> I'd say one of the more unique parts of working with a student with hearing loss that is oral and is using oral communication, you're going to have devices. Those devices 
are technology. Innately, technology is not always going to work. So this is something we have to look for. I would say two of the biggest things that they're not specific to one student because they've happened so many times, but two <laughs> types of scenarios that you kind of have to watch for. One, if you're wearing the FM system, let's say you're doing group or you're pushing in or something like that, you're actually the person wearing the FM. Don't forget to turn it off. If you go to the bathroom, <laughs> if you have to walk to the teacher's lounge, if you're having a discussion with another faculty member about another student or about that student, that child can hear everything that you're saying. So make sure when you're not directly working with your student, turn off your FM. I have definitely been in situations where I have forgotten and all of a sudden I've had a little hand come up behind me and tug on my shirt and say, it's August over my FM is on. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, what did I just say? What did they just hear? So make sure that the FM system is off. We've had a lot of reports of children coming to me and saying, I just heard Mrs. So-and-so in the bathroom. <laughs> so turn your FM off. That's number one. Number two, uh, this was one of my first and kind of fondest memories of working with students with cochlear implants, especially. It's important to keep in mind when those cochlear implants come off, that student is deaf. Their hearing was not cured. So like I said before, I was working in a clinic up in Buffalo as an undergrad, and I was a teacher's aide, and I was helping out. And we had everyone in the classroom at the time were four, some of them five years old. Most of them were relatively new cochlear implant users. But there were days, as all classrooms have these days, where, you know, nobody was listening. <laughs> everybody woke up on the wrong side of the bed. So we would have moments where you'd have three different kids that were kind of sitting and needed to be spoken to about whatever behavior they were presenting with. And I just, I will never forget the look on these angelic children's faces as they would reach their hand up, slowly pull off the magnet part of the implant, which essentially then turns off the implant and then they cannot hear you. And they'll reach up, they turn it off and they just look at you as if to say, I don't really like what you're saying, so I'm just going to turn you off. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so those are two things to look for because you do kind of have this extra piece to the puzzle when you're working with a student with hearing loss, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Makes it fun and exciting, but... <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so my favorite topic, yeah. using what you have to get the yeah. job done. Do you have some yeah. favorite therapy ideas for working with this population? A hundred percent. So... The biggest thing to remember, and this could be an entire talk on, all on its own, but everybody needs, when you're done listening, like Hallie said, go Google auditory hierarchy or the auditory skill hierarchy. That's something, it's the basics of learning to listen and listening to learn, that kind of thing, where it's going to start off, you want the student to be able to detect, is there a sound, yes or no? That's kind of the basic. And I'm going to go through it real fast. Then the second layer up is you're going to start looking at discrimination. Is the student able to tell the difference between a long sound and a short sound or a high-pitched sound and a low-pitched sound or whatever type of discrim task you can do with different sounds, different elements of sound? Then you're going to move up to identification. So that could be what is the sound, what is the word, that sort of thing. So you're actually pinpointing exactly what's going on. And then the tip top of that hierarchy is comprehension. So now you're taking all of this information that you've learned and you say to yourself, okay, but what does it matter? What do I do with it? So kind of an example that I've always used is, let's say you're walking outside and you detect a sound. 
And you say, okay, yes, I hear a sound in my environment. And then the next step up is that discrimination. And you say to yourself, okay, I hear the sound. It's very loud. It's very long. And it's quite high pitched. Okay, now we're starting to kind of narrow it down. Then you get up to the identification and you say, oh, that sound, that's the sound of a fire engine. So now your brain is still kind of working and saying, okay, then you get to the top of that hierarchy and you say, what does that fire engine in my vicinity mean? Does it mean that I need to get out of the way? Is there an emergency happening? Is there a parade going on? What's going on? So you can use that. Yeah. I'm thinking of the car honking going on right now. <laughs> exactly. It's like the car parades. Are you the having a fire engine at your car parade or is it just a bunch of <laughs> friends and family? We've had a few of those at our house in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so I think that that auditory hierarchy, if you know that hierarchy and you understand that movement between detection, discrimination, identification, comprehension, it can literally be applied to any goal that you are working on. So you learn your audiogram, you learn your auditory hierarchy, and then you move on to, okay, but where am I going to put it? So that's kind of where the low prep stuff comes into play here. So you're going to look at the student's goals. Are they working on this whole hierarchy in words? You're going to pull a word list. Are they working on it more in paragraphs or conversational levels? You're going to pull a book. You're going to pull, like I know, Hallie, you show all these awesome clips from Big Bang Theory and that kind of thing. You're going to pull that stuff. You can still use this auditory hierarchy with any type of material. So it's important to just, I think this is everything in speech pathology, but especially for oral rehab. If you have that foundation of what is their hearing loss, what are their devices, what is the hierarchy? It can just be stamped on to really anything you have. We've done it with games like Guess Who and all of those types of board games up to regular children's books that you would be using in therapy for a language goal or an artic goal or anything, really. You just have to know the etiology of the problem. Is it coming from their hearing loss? And if it is, how do I use the auditory hierarchy to address it? Where are they falling? in that hierarchy for me to then use it as part of my goal. Do you have a tip on how to get some, because a lot of times in the schools, we're the ones making the goals also. Yeah, for sure. So what would you recommend for someone who has this case right in front of them? They have to yep. make goals for this student. What should they do? So you're getting <laughs> this brand new student, clean slate. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the schools, would you have access before you meet the student to kind of what their hearing loss is, or is it just going to say student with hearing loss? Typically, yes. So that's the first part, right? Like we said, you're going to look back at the audiogram. You're going to look back at the description of the hearing loss. And you're first going to look at what types of sounds are they not hearing. And like we said before, if it's a high frequency, understand that that could affect their pronouns and their plurals and more of your grammar and your syntax. And you might want to then explore those types of goals. From the articulation perspective, you're going to look at what sounds are they having difficulty hearing and then as a result, are most likely going to have difficulty producing. So that you can look at from an articulation perspective. From an auditory processing perspective, because as a student with hearing loss, you innately are going to have an auditory processing issue because you have this extra step that has to happen. You're going to then look and you're going to see, are there different factors that are going to impede the way that they listen? So the big guys that you're going to look for are distance, you're always going to look for distance listening and see, we usually will calculate it based on about 10 feet. So you can have the student stand 10 feet away from you. You can read off a list of words or paragraph, whatever level they're at. And you're going to see if that distance affects how they're 
listening or how they're hearing you. And the other biggie is noise. How does background noise affect them? There are tons of really good just YouTube videos of background noise. I like to look up multi-speaker babble is really big where you have a bunch of people kind of talking over each other. And I just always say to the student, I don't want you to listen for what they're saying. I actually want you to do the opposite. I want your brain to learn that this background babble, this background noise is not important. The important thing is my voice or the person that you're talking to. So we're training the brain to kind of say, this stuff isn't as important. I can put it to the side. So you want to make sure to look at the student to kind of sum it up and say, how is their hearing loss affecting A, the sounds that they're hearing, B, are those sounds then affecting the grammar that they might be hearing, like those plurals, then is it going to affect how they're listening in noise, how they're listening in distance, and also how much information can they retain that's presented in an auditory fashion. Keep in mind that these kids, and this is honestly, if you take anything away from listening, I would say this. There is something very real called auditory fatigue. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's essentially these kids are listening in hyperdrive. Everything that they're listening to, they are working 10 times harder than you and I are without a hearing loss to hear the same message. And they're trying to hear it and listen and process it. They're going to get tired. They might not even realize that they're getting tired. But knowing when is kind of that point of no return for them and how do you extend that ability and kind of work them out so they're kind of just their threshold kind of picks up a bit. So it's the same as like training for a race. You know, you're not going to start off running an entire marathon. You're going to start off in little pieces. It's the same thing with listening where you're going to start them off listening to three paragraphs, then maybe you can move up to longer, or then maybe you can work up to whole conversations. And it's about being able to hear and listen that conversation, retain the information, recall the information, use the information, all that stuff that Mm -hmm. every SLP uses already in a lot of their language processing and different goals. You're just applying it over to this student with hearing loss and remembering that they have that extra step that there is something extra in there that is going to make them tired and make it difficult for them. So just always remember, kind of, they could look and sound like a mainstream student that doesn't have hearing loss. They do have that hearing loss. And the aids are not fixing that hearing loss. They're aiding them, which is exactly what it says. They're helping them, but that student is still working really, really hard to kind of get past whatever difficulties they have. So always have that in the back of your mind. This student has a hearing loss. How is it affecting their performance in the classroom with me on their goals all the time? Would you recommend teacher training on giving those students or arranging their class to have some listening breaks? Yeah, absolutely. So I always recommend it. Uh, We kind of we do this with the children and with the adults as well as we sort of look and we say, if you start to look, you're going to see a pattern where let's say in the morning they have education in the classroom and then they go to music and then they go to lunch and after lunch they are just bottoming out, you know, and for a lot of students, of course, coming back to the Mm -hmm. classroom after lunch could be tricky, but there's going to be a basic time of day that the teacher or the SLP is going to start to see sort of this, It might come out as behaviors. They might just come out as really tired. You're going to want to kind of, before that happens, let them have one of these auditory breaks or listening break. That could be 
depending on how old they are and how well they're able to kind of manage their own devices. But that could be sitting at their desk and simply turning the devices off for a minute, two minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. It could be something where if you have kind of a quiet corner in the classroom, or maybe they come to the SLP's office if there's time for that, you know, where they go somewhere for just a handful of minutes and they kind of have this quiet time. And essentially what that's doing is it's letting the brain sort of relax and fall back into this equilibrium where it's comfortable and it's settled before it has to ramp up and start working really, really, really hard again. So these breaks, I think, are crucial. I've worked with adults in these high-powered positions who, if they know they're going into an hour and a half long meeting, they know that at 45 minutes, they need to go take their listening break. For them, it's usually a bathroom break or something like that. But <laughs> Go to the coffee machine. Or yeah, something. exactly. You know, just <laughs> any place that's quieter and not so stimulating is going to offer them a really, really nice respite from what they're doing. So absolutely 100% if as the SLP, you can advocate for some type of listening or auditory break before that student kind of calls it quits, do it. If you're able to, do it. Love it. I don't know about everyone else listening, but I have so, this has been so enlightening. And I, <laughs> I, I never thought of the hierarchy piece and the processing piece and the articulation and syntax piece, how it could be affected and how we have to look at like cause and effect, like chicken or the egg, like it's yes. due to the hearing loss. Yes or no? It might not be. It could be completely right. separate. Like yeah. it can be just coincidental, but yeah. you have to really truly look at the full picture, look at the reports, probe get to the bottom of it yeah, absolutely. before you jump in and just, you can't, you can't assume anything. Yeah. And the other, I would say a good material just to have in your room, if you're able to find one, it's hard because I can't see you guys, but it's called an acoustic hoop. Uh, you can Google it. There's a couple companies that sell it, but not many anymore to tell you the truth. You can actually really easily make one. Hallie, I can kind of send you the notes on how to make one, but it's essentially <laughs> a sewing dowel and then sort of, stereo mesh that goes through it and essentially what it does is it blocks the visual but it lets the auditory pass through it so like I'll show you Hallie so you know you <laughs> hold it up and you can speak and the audio the audio is perfect but the visual is blocked and depending on your goal it might be that this child is kind of newer to their devices or they just need a little bit of help making kind of their ear and their brain work better a little you know kind of make this better teamwork I'm not necessarily a proponent. There are some theories out there that kind of say use the hoop all the time. I'm more of a let's use it when we need it. Let's use it when we can really benefit from it. But I think having a hoop in your repertoire of materials, it's another thing that you always have it. You don't have to put it together. It's just I constantly have my hoop next to me and you can use it for a bunch of different goals. And it's kind of going to then assess and help you tease out, is it a hearing thing? Or is it something else? So kind of, I guess a good example would be articulation. Let's say I'm asking a child to very simply repeat back a word, right? Let's say I say the word duck, okay? And the student, and let's say I'm covered, meaning I have the acoustic hoop up and covering my face. And I say, okay, my turn, your turn, duck. And the student responds, duh. So now I have to look at, okay, that final consonant, that's missing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take down my hoop and now I'm going to show them my face and I'm going to say, okay, my turn, your turn, duck. And now they look at me and they say, duck. And I think to myself, okay, so they got it when they were watching me, but they didn't get it when they couldn't see me. That tells me that it's probably their hearing. This is not an articulation thing because they can do it when they're given 
the right information and kind of the right visual. Mm -hmm. So then what I'm always going to do after that is say, you're right. The word is duck. I'm always going to put my hoop back up one more time and I'm going to say it again. Okay. My turn, your turn duck. And what that does is it gives that student kind of the like cement of, okay, I heard the word. I kind of heard what it sounded like. And then I saw the word. I saw what it sounded like. Now I'm going to hear it one more time now that I know what the word is. And I'm going to kind of cement it in my brain that that's what duck sounds like. So now that's a word that I now have in my, not only vocabulary, but also in my auditory repertoire, because now I know what it sounds like. And that whole kind of thing, another good thing to look up is called the auditory sandwich, is what we call it. It's a very technical term. Um, but that idea of covering and producing the sound, then uncovering and giving them the visual plus the sound, and then doing just one extra where it's only the sound, is called the auditory sandwich. And you can find visuals and graphics and techniques using that kind of all over the place. But it's a good one. And I use that every day, all day long in all my sessions. Wow. Now, before we close up this podcast, we I'm were having just, so much fun. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to make sure because a lot of people are now starting to or continuing to do or thinking they're going to be doing more teletherapy practice. Mm -hmm. What are your favorite ways or tips? Because I know you mentioned one before we mm -hmm. got uh, started recording for working with this population in this platform in this way. Yeah. So a, a couple things to look for. And if you're able to, especially during telehealth, if you still have access, and Hallie, I can ask you, do you still have access if you needed like the TOD or the educational audiologist, like a way to get in touch or not necessarily? Not easily. Yeah. Not easily. So make sure you talk to them before a pandemic hits because <laughs> you want to have that information. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> um, just to kind of, you might be able to find some really interesting programs and things like that. You might want to look at, does the student, depending on the goals you're looking at, do they need captions? Is that something where they're not necessarily going to get what you're trying to teach them without having captions? So that's kind of one thing to look at. And it really depends on their hearing loss pretty heavily. The second thing is if you are using this auditory hoop, because I use it at home all the time when I'm doing telehealth, a lot of people say, well, just turn off your video, right? Because then you're getting rid of the visual, which is the point of using the auditory hoop, the uh, acoustic hoop. I've actually noticed, and this has been kind of interesting, I've had many clients, more than one, say to me, they get quite anxious when the video turns off and they kind of feel like they're just floating with no inkling about what's going to happen versus if I'm on the screen and I use my hoop and the hoop, because you guys can't see me, it essentially covers from right below your bottom eyelid down. Um, especially for me, I've got these kind of like big apple cheeks. So I need to cover my cheeks because when I make an E sound or an I sound, my eyes close, you know, so there's these cues. So I need to make sure I'm covering as much as I can. So my clients happen to really like it when I'm covering up and Hallie can see me. So <laughs> <laughs> you can live vicariously through her. Um, so you have to really lift that hoop up and cover your face. If I were to turn my camera off, like I said, a lot of my clients have, it becomes a little bit more social emotional for them and a little bit more mental for them. So instead of turning off my camera, I'm still using my hoop, even though we're not in the same room. The other big thing is you can still work on noise. You absolutely can still work on noise. You can kind of test out with the student if it's easier for them to have noise playing in the background where they are, and maybe they can play it on a radio or they can have it on a different device, or if it's easier for you to have the sound 
kind of shared through their computer. You know, you could share your background noise with them. It's going to depend on where the speaker's coming from that they're using on their end. If it's all coming from straight in front of them, it might not be as beneficial. You kind of want that background noise to be coming from all around them because mm -hmm. that's what's going to kind of imitate real life. So I actually ask my clients, I will send them kind of links to these YouTubes of background noise and I'll say to them, all right, before the session, make sure you've got it ready. And they might set up an iPad, you know, two, three feet behind them and have the sound playing. So it's imitating more real life on their end. You'll want to look, you know, everyone's of course looking at their mic system and what they have you'll want to really double, triple check how that system's working for somebody with hearing loss, of course. And then for them on their end, and this isn't so much for the SLP, but they could recommend to the student and the family, just see what kind of connections there are for their devices to their computers and laptops and iPads and that kind of thing. Because there's a lot of Bluetooth technology and wireless technology that might be easier for them to kind of hook into based on what they have. Because Hearing aids and implants are pretty incredible in that way. There's a lot of really cool things they can do. That's like a six-hour course right there. So that's really cool to even think of. Yeah. Like, even it's think amazing. To ask about. Yeah, so they can connect some of them straight into the laptop. So what they're doing is they would be getting your voice. Maybe they're in a loud and crazy home and you've got six siblings and both parents are working and that's a very normal thing to be happening these days. And maybe you do need quiet in the background, but it's just really hard for them to find a quiet place. There's a very good chance that for students now, they're using technology that's going to allow them to connect directly into their laptop, meaning that they're going to be directly picking up your voice, almost like wearing headphones, but they get to direct connect their devices. And every device is kind of different and has their own way of doing things. But a lot of times the families will have access to their audiologist to ask those questions and things like that. But it's an option to bring up. Hmm. Wow. That's really, really cool. So see guys, just because we're doing teletherapy doesn't mean that you can't still do adequate therapy to meet the needs of your students. Absolutely. Farah, thank you so, so much. This thank was you. so helpful. And I, I hope everyone listening feels more inspired, got that jolt of inspiration they need to work with these clients of yours or maybe just future ones or maybe you're thinking back of cli clients you had in the past and saying, hmm, I wish I knew that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Farah, where can people learn more about you? So I own a private practice. I guess I don't think I mentioned that before. No. I own a private practice in Belmore on Long Island. Uh, it's called Island Wide Speech. So we work pretty much with everybody, but my particular specialty is in oral rehab, of course. So you can check out islandwidespeech.com for more information. We're on all the different social medias. You can see us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. My email and phone number, honestly, if anybody <laughs> has any questions, please reach out. For me personally, I had a little bit of a tough time as a speechy who wanted to get into the audiological realm, it was a little hard for me to find people that I could talk to about it, you know, that could kind of mentor me in a way. I had a lot of really fantastic audiologists that I spoke to, but finding someone who was a speech pathologist with this curiosity and this drive for the hearing loss world 
was impossible. So I, I pretty much, as cheesy as it sounds, I kind of made this promise to myself that if anyone after me ever needed that kind of mentorship where they just needed to talk to someone that had a similar interest, I am a complete and open book. So feel free to ask any questions you have if it's about a student or just overall, hey, what's oral rehab like? I'm open. I'm here. So feel free to reach out kind of on any of those outlets. And then if you want more information on the book, you can go through islandwidespeech.com or you can go directly to harmonyheresahoot.com or it's also sold on Amazon along with Hallie's book. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Dara inspired me. I always had that bucket list thing to write a book. And when I saw her put out her book, I'm like, damn, got to do it. And it's so good. You still have to <laughs> sign my copy. Yeah. sitting in my clinic. You, you owe me a signature. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it, guys. See, it's full circle. Me and Farrah met in undergrad, and, and now we're here back together doing the SLP thing. And our, our almost kids two, are basically the same age. I mean, they're going to go to the prom together or something, you know. Oh, there's a lot of competition, I got to no. tell you. <laughs> hey, I, I wouldn't mess with my Addison, okay? <laughs> All right, guys. So I made, as you guys know, I always like to end my episodes with a joke. And I put Farah up to the challenge. And she got a little stumped. I did. And she asked Alexa for help. I did. Alexa <laughs> runs my life. Okay. <laughs> she helps me with everything. So, so I asked her to tell me a joke. She went through some pretty terrible ones uh, for a while. They just were not funny. And then she gave me one that kind of made me giggle a little bit out, out loud. Um, my two-year-old laughed. I don't think he got it. I think he just laughed because I laughed. But you ready? Yes. Okay. Why shouldn't you tell a secret on a farm? I don't know. Why shouldn't you? Well, I'll tell you why. The potatoes have eyes, the corn has ears, and the beans stalk. <laughs> and I Alexa it. does it again. <laughs> I love it. And the eyes and the ears, this is perfect for this episode. Right. I may or may not have asked her to find me jokes on ears. And then I asked her to find me jokes on mouths, brains, uh, and there was a lot of zombie jokes for that one. <laughs> I also said, find me a joke about speech pathology, and she had no idea what I was talking about. So, <laughs> and, I, and I told Farah that you can always ask Alexa to fart. And yes, and that I didn't know. I just discovered you can make a grocery list through her, which is fantastic. So, nice. And I don't know, as a mom of a two-year-old, I'm just constantly telling her to remind me of like who I am in 10 minutes. Hey, Alexa, can you just remind me of my first name in about seven or eight minutes? Thanks so much. <laughs> See, even we need some compensatory strategy. Yes. Yeah. And it, it happens. Mom brain is real, guys. Mom brain is real. <laughs> Mom brain, SLP brain. Mm -hmm. But we are all rock stars pulling yes. all this off all together in the same time. Yeah. In a pandemic. And coming together, I have to say, just it's been so inspirational watching the field in the last couple of months it's incredible how much resources and technology and sharing and and just knowledge and awareness everybody in the field across the world is doing and for me it's been it's it's weird to say it during a pandemic but kind of uplifting and it's lit a fire under me and gotten me excited again and i just think you know thanks to the field thanks to all the other slps because like Callie just said, we are really rocking it and coming together as a profession and it's awesome. I don't think every profession can say that. So kudos to us, kudos to everybody. It's been really inspirational. Yes, you guys are rock stars. All right. Thank you, Farah, so much for coming on the podcast. 
Thank you, Hallie. It's been a long time in the making. We've been talking about I, it We've for been a talking while. about this for a long time, and it took a pandemic to, when we were both stuck at home right? to get this to happen. Well, it was my pleasure, and I really, truly enjoyed it. And as Hallie knows, I've been using her stuff since before I knew she was speech time fun. So <laughs> thank you <laughs> for making such awesome materials because I have been using them for years and will never forget the day that you officially told me you were speech time fun. It was a big By moment. Way, <laughs> for those of you listening, if you didn't know, I was anonymous for like for a long time, three, four years. Yeah. And when I revealed my identity, mm-hmm. it was kind of entertaining for people around me who know me personally. It was big. It was, it was a big deal. Was, I mean, big. I remember saying to you, I remember exactly how it happened. We were at a street fair. Yes. And I was telling you about a really good material that I had downloaded. And you looked at me and you said, oh, I know that material. And for the life of me, I can't remember which one it was. And you said, I know that material. I said, oh, you do? It's a good one, right? And you said, well, I wrote it. I said, what do you mean you wrote it? I said, Speech Time Fun wrote it. And you come out with, well, I have something to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I am Speech Time Fun. And I was mind blown. So <laughs> one of my fondest memories of our friendship, Allie. <laughs> All about the street fair, right, guys? It was awesome. It was awesome. Me and Farrah's uh, favorite memories are street fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Okay, I'm going to end this podcast because everyone's probably listening going, this is hysterical. Yep. (laughs) We could do this all night. (laughs) All right, guys. Till next week. Hey, hey. Wanted to just pop on in here to let you know that there is a TPT site-wide sale this week. Make sure you are checking in on my Instagram at speechtimefun or on Facebook or checking my emails to make sure that you are getting the promo code and dates so you don't miss out on this awesome opportunity to save big on shopspeechtimefun.com. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.